All right. So let me just read over the introduction here to it. And you, you, you have this, you have the people read this worksheet because that's their instructions. Now, you don't necessarily give this the first, the first session. Uh, it's probably good to try to create some hope. And there's a little pamphlet, Christ and Your Problems by Dr. Adams that's excellent at that. Uh, but there are times when you might use this first session, homework. Uh, you don't assign it all at once, all right? Usually, you, you know, you're going to assign this thing uh, in depending. Uh, if, if you have a mom, and I, I do use illustrations of women because that's who I've dealt with mostly with panic attacks. So uh, anger, yeah, you guys, I zero in on you. But uh, if you have a mom with three kids or four kids and it's calving time or it's a haying time or, or, or whatever, she's not going to have a whole lot of time. I mean, be sensitive to that. Uh, it's better to give her too little and, and let her be encouraged by it than give her too much and be discouraged by it, okay? So, you know, just get them started. All right. This is a worksheet. Not every point or every verse will apply to you. You will, though, need to look up all the verses. And I would say a principle, don't ever assign a piece of homework that you haven't worked through yourself. I've done that. <laughs> you don't need that embarrassment. Oh, well, Pastor Al, what does that mean? Oh, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, no. <laughs> you know, you don't need your nose flattened too many times to learn. It's best not to do that. Uh, you, you will, though, need to look up all the verses and give thought to them to gain maximum advantage from the study. The more severe the problem, the more effort it'll take. But you can have victory. We want that hope right there smack in the front. Through your salvation in Christ, you have the foundation, knowledge, and power necessary to triumph. Work on changing your language. We listen, what, or we listen to what we say, and we begin to believe it if we hear it often enough. Uh, there's been some studies done. I think it's uh, uh, Paul Tripp in his book, War of Words, that talks about studies and how much we talk to ourselves. You know who you listen to the most in life? Yeah. Yeah, you were saying you drive. Yeah, right. Well, there's no one to talk to. Uh, instead of speaking of a panic attack, speak of having a fear experience. Now, this is where we're dealing with this continuum. We got a continuum here. You don't reach one point and all of a sudden uh, fear ends and bloop, panic attack. And that's some kind of a disease. No, it's just, it's just a greater fear. So you work with that continuum. Panic and attack leave us with the impression that we are helpless, hopeless, and victims. You may feel as though you're being attacked, and it can get out of control if you fail to bring God's principles to bear. But you can fight it, and you can win. Now, what you have here, every illustration here is from a case. So I didn't pull this stuff out of thin air. You might say, oh, that's weird. 
Well, yeah, I'd say that. Now, you don't say that to the counselee. And incidentally, when a counselee says, well, I wrestle with this, and you say to yourself, why would anyone wrestle with that? That's not an issue. <laughs> you don't get to define what's serious. They do. If they say it's serious, I'll never forget. I love this quote. Uh, Billy Graham said, well, it may only be puppy love, but it's real to the puppy. <laughs> I love that. And that's what we're talking about. Let them define what the issue is and how important it is and how serious it is. Um, so don't assign all at once. Uh, you might assign one to three, four and five, six to seven, eight and nine, or you might say one to four, five to seven. Break it up. If you've worked through it, you have an idea of how much time each one will take, and you got to know the counselee enough. And that's the benefit, listen, of, of, of working with friends. You got a ton of information that you already know. Now, don't make the mistake of assuming you know everything. I've counseled people, or I, I've been friends with people who, uh, man, I thought, wow, this, this guy's really cool. He's a great guy. He's gifted, unbelievably gifted. And then you get a call one day. Hey, listen, uh, Bill just exposed himself to a kid. Whoa. Okay, so don't ever assume you know everything behind the scene. But you do know a lot. And so it's, you're counseling with a friend, and you know her. You know she's up to her ears in, in uh, kids and, and, and work or something. Assign one, two, the first two questions or something. Okay, work with the person. That's all I'm saying. So, one, what triggered it? It didn't come out of nowhere. Well, how do you, how do you get there? Well, start asking questions. When did it start? Well, I don't know. But don't say, okay, well, I guess that question's done. No. Your next question is, well, when did you first realize this? Or when did it, when did it first impact you? Oh, I'm not sure. I, I think when I was a senior and uh, we're about ready to graduate. Okay. Then ask, well, would you describe yourself as, as, as a kid growing up? Uh, were you fearful? Oh, I don't know. Well, how, how about when the uh, exam times come, came? You know, you're, you're asking questions. You say, well, yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was sort of always fearful. Uh, yeah, I'd always go in a room and, and I'd shout, okay, I know you're in here. Get out, get out, get out. <laughs> I used to do as a kid. I'm not scared. Get off one of the bed. <laughs> All right? I was checking it out. I'd check the closet sometimes. Uh, but what you, you're, look, you're looking for a pattern, okay? Now, that, they might not have had a panic attack in eighth grade, but they might have been scared to death when they were going into ninth grade. So you're looking for a pattern that was growing. You're helping them to understand that there's a pattern here. It had, a, it had its roots somewhere. Now, you know, sometimes we, we can't figure that out. But uh, that's, you're asking questions about that. Then ask, well, what, what was occurring around the last time you had a panic attack? Last Wednesday. What was going on in your life? Well, I don't know. 
remember asking one woman, I said, anything un un unusual happen? No. By the end of the hour, I had learned, her husband said, if you don't like it, get out. Her mother had died, and she wasn't able to make it to the hospital in time, and her dad was sick and headed for the hospital. And she said, well, no, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Listen, was she lying to me? No, she wasn't lying to me. But people don't always know what you're looking for. So just be patient. There's times I've asked the same question three different ways. And five minutes before the session's supposed to end, here it comes. Whoa! <laughs> we just had all that put on the table. Well, praise God that, that you found out. And I've never had anybody say to me, well, you asked me that question three times already. I've never had anyone say that. Ask it different ways. So you're collecting information. You're collecting data. What was going on? Key question. What were you thinking about? Guard your heart carefully, for out of it flow the issues of life. And you know what the Bible says about the heart? It's where we do our thinking. Now the brain, the brain is the physical organ. But it's the heart where we're making decisions, choices, and that kind of thing. And things we think about, worry, fears, come out of there. That's those heart issues. <clears throat> you may have, you may have asked them to uh, listen. I want you to journal this week. And when you start thinking about something and start worrying about it, I want you to write it down. Don't wait till everything's over and you forgot about it. And then I want you to journal who was present, what was going on, what was said, what were you thinking, what were you fearing, what were you expecting, all kinds of questions. We want a snapshot of that person's What's going on in that person's head in life? We're collecting data. Look for patterns. Patterns. And that pattern can be anything. It can be music. You say, music? Oh, yes, it can. Listen, if you've ever talked to someone who has been raped, that can trigger fear. The color of the room, the odors that they smelled, the music that was playing, all that stuff. Anything can be a trigger, anything at all. So music, odors, people, time, places, thoughts, events, circumstances. Look for a pattern. Journal. So <clears throat> what are some things that can be triggers? False concepts or doctrine, an event, guilt, comments from others, change of health, Changing relationship, feeling out of control, stress, tiredness, illness, loss of temporary security, job, spouse, thoughts, other. Betty, remember Betty? Yeah, well, she had some false doctrine. She believed she could be demon oppressed. I don't see that in scripture. She believed she could be possessed by ancestral demons. I don't see that in Scripture. Now, demons are real. But how they can impact Christians is another story. Uh, she believed that demons may gain access through music, pictures, statues, or people. 
There, I've, I haven't heard it for a while, but there was a doctrine back in the 90s, and I heard some evangelicals, some names you would know and respect. I respect it. Teach this. The thought is, and she had a husband that uh, traveled overseas. She brought a, he brought a picture home. He tried to take a child with him of a child standing in front of a pagoda, a, a temple. She was just convinced that demons could attach themselves to that picture. And when she looked at that picture, they could jump from the picture to her. She lived in Florida. She had a, a lot of Haitians, a lot of voodoo down there. A guy walked in to fix her plumbing. He had a, a acid rock uh, group on his t-shirt. She went bananas. Because she was just convinced that a demon could be attached to that shirt and jump into her house. I heard, I heard a, uh, a well-known speaker, I won't mention his name, but you, I, I guarantee you, you would know his name. Probably read some of his books. On a program, he had a national program. And this person said, yeah, well, I, I know demons are real. There was this girl that, that wasn't supposed to go to a, 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 a dance, and she went to the dance, and demons followed her home. Well, how do you know that? Because the demon burnt her house down. Now listen, this sounds weird, but I'm telling you, it, it, it may be weird, but this is what people wrestle with, and you need to sit there. I made a mistake one time. One time, a lot of times. <laughs> this lady called and didn't come back. She said she's canceling her counseling after one meeting. I went into the man I was working under, uh, great respect for him. And he said, well, give her a call. Find out why she didn't come back. <laughs> well, that's the last thing I wanted. I knew why she didn't come back. So I called her. And she said, well, Pastor Al, I told you my story. And you didn't believe me. And she was right on target. All I, she caught me. I was humble. What I should have said, ma'am, I'm, I'm, I got to admit, I'm having, I'm struggling believing this, but let's work with it. All I could say to her, please forgive me. You're correct, and I hope you come back. Right? But you, get, you, you listen. You listen to what's being said. Okay, uh, this woman had four children. She homeschooled. Very sadly, one of those kids was running across the back of a couch, jumped off the couch, the cord on the Venetian blind wrapped around his neck. They lost the child. So, I mean, you know, a lot of things going on here. Uh, she found out that her, her, her grandmother was involved in voodoo. So all these, all these things, she, she needed sound doctrine to help her sort this out biblically. All right. So find out what triggered it. Now, always shoot for the obvious first. If the person sinned, they need to repent. And guilt can flow out, does flow out of sin, and that can lead to a lot of fear. So always check for the obvious. But if they say, I, I, I honestly, I have searched my heart. I, I, don't, I can't think of anything. Okay, fine. We'll go look, look somewhere else. Um, but 
sin, guilt can lead to irrational fears. Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing. When no one's pursuing, but the guilt creates fear. Two, ask him, what did you think about? What perceived punishment did your thoughts run to? For some examples, I don't need this. This is self-talk. I can't handle this. Worrying about a possible event, losing a child. You don't, you don't believe that you can handle. Or you keep saying, this is going to destroy me. This is just flat out going to destroy me. I'll be ruined. Or this will cause me to be late. Say, what's a big deal? I counseled a woman. There's a traffic jam in Chicago. Five lanes of traffic. And she has a doctor's appointment. She's stuck right in the middle of it. She had a panic attack. She froze, paralyzed. Traffic jam breaks up. All the cars leave. She's sitting there. Took a police officer to come and help her and get her off the freeway. You say, what's the big deal? You don't get to define what a big deal is. Your counselee does. Uh, this is going to destroy my relationship. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. They will exaggerate, believe lies, and distort reality. All right? They'll exaggerate. Look at Cain. I don't know if he had a panic attack, but just look at him. Well, you're, you're driving me off the land. I'll be a wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. That wasn't true. Exaggeration, fear. Uh, other comments. This is going to kill me. I don't know. Uh, I, I can't know God's joy until I get over this. Here's some things that Betty was thinking. Satan can touch me. God will not protect me. God is punishing me. Those are things she believed. Other things, I can't control this. So have them evaluate their thoughts and identify Satan's lies. Now what you might do, have them take a piece of paper, turn it sideways, landscape view. Satan's lies, God's truth. Here's Betty. Spiritual warfare is demonological in nature. In other words, spiritual warfare has to do with demons. That's, that's the biggest part of uh, spiritual warfare. God's truth. Spiritual warfare is heart-centered, not demon-centered. Uh, Mark 7, 21, following. Ephesians 6, 10, following. Second thing, Satan's lies she believed. This is going to destroy me. God's truth. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. 1 John 4, 4. He who is, he is, he who is in me is greater than... Help me out here. Thank you. Than he was in the world. Those gaps get bigger as I get older. So, third lie she was believing. God is punishing me. 
God's truth. God disciplines His people. But the New Testament, I think the Old Testament too, never uses the word punishment of God's dealing with His children. What's the difference? Discipline has a positive end to it. Punishment, you did it, you got nailed. Don't cry to me about it. We discipline our children. We don't punish them. God disciplines us. He doesn't punish us. Hebrews 12, 1-11. Another truth in that line. God's not punishing us. God's a father, not a tyrant. He's a father. Who what? For God, the Father, so loved this old corrupt sinful world that He what? Sent His only begotten Son. Ephesians 2. 12 to 19, Romans 8, 28 to 39. And you can expand on that. But you, you want them to see, what lies are you believing? What's the truth? Eve believed the lies. And Adam bought right into it. we got to get the truth in there. You shall know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. Boy, that's so, such a glorious truth. So what were they thinking about? Third, what did you do? First, what did you think? Now, what did you do? Betty got angry, cried, was fearful, withdrew, uh, lost control. She withdrew from her spiritual support team. She stopped going to church. She stopped going to a Bible study. Um, the relationship with her husband was weakened. Communication deteriorated. Once communication goes down, everything else follows. Then she had guilt over failure. She was spending her time uh, on the couch in her sweats. Her husband was doing the housework. He was going to work, uh, doing his work there. He was coming home. He was trying to teach the kids. He was trying to make meals. Guilt set in. And the spiral just, you know. Uh, other, other things. What did you do? Uh, examples. Attack the other, another person. Verbally, that was. Uh, complained instead of addressing the problem. Clammed up, blew up, blame shifted. Others. And then the question, how did your response complicate and worsen the problem? What could have you done <clears throat> that would have expressed love to God and neighbor? See, we're back to that again. Listen. Betty, she complicated the problem. She withdrew from all her support teams, spiritual support. She complicated the problem. She withdrew from her husband. She started talk, stopped talking to him. She complicated her problem by not meeting her responsibilities, and then the guilt just washed over her like a tsunami. So what did you do, and how did your response complicate or worsen the problem? What we're doing here, we're helping the person dissect the experience. Just like eating beef. You can't eat the whole cow at once. You cut that rascal up into steaks. And you eventually get to the end. But listen, fear is the same way. We've got to dissect it. Get it into bite-sized chunks. Understand what's going on. Help them to see, okay, this didn't come out of nowhere. 
All right, I can, there's, that's something I can do something about. Four, what desires dominated your thought? Now, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the whole concept of idols of the heart. Uh, if you are, a lot of times that I, 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 I deal with that right here. Now, that may take two, three weeks. But I want to find out, what desires dominated your thoughts? Where were you saying, well, I must, I need to, I have a right to, I want? For example, and these are illustrations, actual illustrations. I have a right for, not, for this not to happen to me. I got a right to tell that person off. I've got to control the situation. I need peace at any cost. I need to feel good. You'll run into that, and that's a big one. I'm sitting counseling a woman, and she's saying, does anybody ever get over this? In God's providence, my next counselee was someone who I had taken through the fear, fear, panic attacks, fear experiences. She was waiting to come in. So I said, excuse me just a minute. I walked out of my office, and I said to call her Linda. I said, Linda, I've got a lady who just asked, she's wrestling with panic and fear, fear. And she just asked me the question, does anyone ever get over this? Would you be willing to come in and share with her? Oh, I'd love to. She was all excited. We went in. She sat down in a chair, and those two started talking. I just sat back in a chair and listened. I mean, listen, it's like two of you moms getting together or two of you cattlemen getting together, you know? Hey, just stand back because you're, you're communicating. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what, yeah. Well, I oh, yeah, and did you this happen? Oh, yeah, that happened. And I'm saying, wow, but what's going on? This woman is learning Hey, you can have victory here. We're instilling hope in this person. Now listen, be careful. Don't ever volunteer someone without talking to them first. And it's tough today. You say, well, listen, I want you to call this number and talk to this lady. Uh, the telephone number pops up. They know who called. So you got to be wise. Don't spring it on somebody. But if you got this kind of situation... And you know someone that wrestled through it to victory? Ask that person, would you mind meeting together with us next week or sometime this week? Now, maybe you've gone through it. And you say, well, I can share my personal story. That's fine. But let me tell you something. You be careful what you share. All right? You put personal information out there, and this person just loves you because they got help, and the next week it doesn't go so well, and they're really bitter. And they're going to fix your clock. And they got the information to do it. So be wise. Listen, I didn't become a Christian until I was 21. I don't believe in this uh, so, sort of evangelism where you shock the pants off people by about how bad you were. I told them I was bad. I'm not proud of it. There's things I did. But I want them to know how good God is. Okay, keep that in mind as you share your experiences. Uh, I, have a, I have a right to a hassle-free life. I need to be affirmed and praised. I got to get well. I got to get even. I need respect. I earn respect. I need to get out of here. Okay? Find out what's going on. Betty, she needed to tell certain people, wanted to tell certain people off. She wanted to be secure. She wanted a husband who didn't travel. She wanted to feel good. You can want something so much that it leads to fear. So how, how, how? 
if you're sick and you want to be better so much, well, you begin to fear, what if I don't get better? Hey, listen, those of you who uh, have grayer hair than I have, you know what it's like, right? You're 30, 30 years old, you get sick, hey, big deal. Next week, I'm back full strength. You get up in years, ooh, that's not working right. I wonder if the old ticker's going okay. I wonder if something else is off. I wonder if I'm getting cancer. I wonder if I got tumor. I wonder. And you got to learn to control those fears. Okay, moving on. So you can want something so bad that you get develop a fear of not getting it. Wrong, wrong motives lead to stress and anger, which lead you away from a godly solution, cause more problems, and further the sense of being out of control. Also, if you desire something strong enough, you may develop, as I said, strong fear of not getting it. I must get well. The fear, what if I don't get well? All right. Evaluate how your desires contributed to your fear. Now, we're having them take this apart. All right. You want to think through it. Well, I don't know. That's, your, that's the first response you're going to get. Well, I don't know. Well, fine. They don't. They're, they're, they're not, they don't know where you're going. They haven't been over this territory before. Help them walk through it. Walk them with, help them get started, give them ideas, help them um, to address this. And then, but, but have them get down. You know, uh, what Betty said, well, it led to anger and an ungodly use of my emotional energy. That led to guilt, stress, and exhaustion. She said, well, I focused on being alone when my husband traveled. Fear. And then fear when he came back. Because he'd bring pictures or a little, little statue or something. Guilt over not supporting my husband. Constant worrying when he'd travel. Exhausting. Feeding fear and anger. Four. You don't have this, but... What if I never feel good again? So those desires were contributing to her fears. You want the person to see that. Because again, as they see that, they can attack it. Okay? They can go to Scripture and find answers for it. Five, a wrong view of a trial. What's their view of trials? This is going to destroy me. That was Betty. I'll never get it right. Those two were bitty. Another one. Uh, just glad I pulled out. I, should, I shouldn't have to go through this. This doesn't happen to other people. You see the self-pity setting in here? God must hate me. No. No. Sometimes, I mean, I've spent a whole session at times. A person comes in, they say something that triggers it. I just set my agenda aside. And I spend a whole session encouraging. Sometimes I just preach to them. <laughs> I'm a preacher. Young woman comes in, wrestling, has identity problems. Says, my dad told me young, very young, at a very early age, well, you should have been a boy. That's just where it started. Well, you're never going to amount to anything. Just hammered her, hammered her, hammered her. 
She's sitting in front of me. She's depressed. She doesn't know where her identity is. I set my agenda aside. I opened up the Ephesians 1. I just went blank. Uh, Ephesians 1, uh, 3, uh, 4. Oh, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, and it goes on. I just preached that to her. I said, let me tell you how God sees you. And let me tell you, you think you're bad now? You think you're bad because what your dad said? You were far worse than that. And in the midst of that, God chose you. If there was no one else in the whole world, you would have been his child. And he placed his love upon you. We love you, him because he first loved us. And I just preached that to her. I wanted her to know who she was in Christ. I wanted to know that it was the Father holding on to her. And no one can snatch him out of my Father's hand. I just want her to know those truths. Sometimes you do that. So what's their view of the trial? What does James 1 say? Consider all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. Well, I confess I'm still working on that one. But I'm getting better at it. Why can we consider all joy? Knowing, knowing, not feeling, knowing. Consider all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you might be complete and mature, lacking in nothing. What if I don't know how to do that? If any man ask, or lacks wisdom, let him ask in faith. So the answer's there. That's a, that's a godly view of a trial. How about Romans 8, 28, 29? For we know, I love it, the Bible doesn't say, well, we feel. We know, be ruled by our knowledge. Our, that's really our heart. Heart and mind in Scripture are used interchangeably, by the way. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. They're not all good, but He works them together for good. Well, how do we know that? Hey, let's go to the cross. The greatest travesty and sin the world knew. God caused it to work together for our salvation. God is in control. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the ultimate good that verse 28 talks about. We're being conformed to his son. Well, how can that happen? Well, I can learn to trust. I can learn to be more humble. I can, I can learn to be more obedient. I can learn to be more patient. Just go through the fruit of the Spirit. So what's their view of a trial or the trials that they face? Betty was convinced this was going to destroy her. Well, no wonder she was fearful. If I believed that, I would be fearful. And I'll bet you 10 to 1. I'll give you 10 to 1 odds. When you watch the news, the national news, you've got to remind yourself who's in charge. The counter, the fear that starts to set into your heart. 
right? So what's the lesson there? What they're going through isn't anything really different than what we're going through. It's just gotten worse. It's just a continuation of many of the things we wrestle with. That gives us humility. That gives us compassion when we deal with it. It's not like, well, I'm sitting up here and I'm on a 10-foot stool, you servant. No. You're down there in the mess with them. You're one sinner giving grace to another sinner. It gives humility. Six, what's their focus? Now here, you're, you're going to zero in on a self-centeredness and that you're going to graciously confront, but it's a key thing. Here's Betty. What was she thinking about, focused on? Past experiences, self, thoughts of fear, my feelings, what I may lose, uh, having an attack. What were some things other people thought about? Health, reputation, defending myself, dying, possible consequences of the situation, mistreatment by others, typical body, bodily responses when fear has increased, such as raised heart rate, sweating, clammy feet. Then the question, on what would God have you focus? List it below and write out how focusing on and applying it can help you overcome the fear when it begins to grow and be, and be specific. Train yourself to think on these things. Philippians 4, 8, Psalm 73, 21 to 28. In that Psalm 73, he starts out, what's he thinking about? Oh, well, great, Lord. I'm out here busting myself, trying to be godly. And here are all these sinners, and they're fat, and they're having good times, and they're partying. Great. And he says, I almost betrayed the next generation to come. But he went into the temple, and what does it say? And I perceived their end. You see that? He had a shift his thinking. So what would God have you focus on? Now, they're going to need help here. Uh, and so there's, you can help them. You can help them walk through it. Give them some promises. Uh, my wife gave me a sheet uh, that, I, that I'd use. She used it more than I did. But it's just truths about God. There's all pages of truths about God and who He is and what He promises. And she has amazing success with that. She has women come back and say, I can't believe it. I can't believe how big God is. Listen, that's what we're after. As Here you are. As God gets bigger, our problems get smaller. Well, if we're all we're thinking about is our problems and we're not in the Word, we, our problems get bigger and our God gets smaller. We've got to get that scale out of balance by being in the Word, memorizing Scripture, meditating on Scripture. That's a lost art, meditating. Well, meditating on Scripture is a lost art. <clears throat> it differs, by the way, from uh, Eastern religions, meditation. <laughs> the concept of Eastern religion, you, you, mem you meditate on something that's senseless, like oh, oh. You know why you do that? Because it has no definition, no meaning. As soon as you attach a definition to it, you start thinking about the definition. The idea is I'll, I'll totally empty my mind. And I'll, be, 
I'll melt into the universal all, all this great, lovely, flowery language. What does scripture say? No, you meditate on the truth of God. You meditate on who he is. You saturate yourself with the word of God. You train your mind. You fill your mind. Okay. Seven. Truths from God's word. These are just basic attributes of God. God's character. Love, sovereignty, all-knowing, all-powerful, unchanging, truthful, ever-present, wise, good, just, long-suffering, merciful. And if you can make a longer list, make it. So you, you have them say, okay, I, I want you to look those up this week and tell me what that verse has to say specifically about your situation. Now, maybe all the verses don't apply, but what are you doing? You want them to get God in the center of their fear. You want them to know how the Scripture, how God, the person of God, the love of God, the promises of God, how they combat the things that they're fearing. And so you have them go through those. And you say, write it out. Oh, I'll remember it. No, you won't. No, you won't. Write it out. And there's something about writing it out. There's times, I, oh, I know what to say. And I start writing it. <laughs> and it takes me 20 minutes to figure out what I thought I could say in 10 seconds. Have them write it out. Make them reflect on it. Find out. Take time here. Look at God's promises. You have a number of promises listed there. Have them meditate on those. Memorize those passages. Have them meditate on those passages. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves punishment, 1 John. Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will strengthen you. I don't know if I'm more. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Get those promises. See, these, you were asking these are the talk back verses. They need to talk back to themselves. Oh, this is going to destroy me. No, no one can snatch me out of my father's hand. Oh, I'll never get through this. I can do all things who strengthens me. Oh, God must hate me. No, God shed his son, sent his son to die for my sin. He loves me. They need something to talk back to themselves with. God's promises. Biblical doctrines. The doctrines of justification. We've lost doctrines. These are glorious doctrines. I love doctrine. Doctrine is the steel structure of the building that you attach everything else to. Doctrine is those girders that when the wind hits, a 50, 60 mile an hour wind on a, on a side of a building with 120 square feet, the girders hold it. I was counseling a young man, and I forget what he was wrestling with. But I said, listen, let me show you something. And I use this. I said, oh, he was wrestling with, well, every time, you know, I sin, he thought he sort of needed to be saved again. So he had no security. So I drew a line. I drew a vertical line. I said, justification. Immediate, unchanging. Something else. I forget what it was. 
Then I came down. I drew a line horizontally. I said, progressive sanctification. Over time, progresses, changes. Then I drew a line, a wiggly line. I said, now look, back here, here was your high point. Now a year later, here's your low point. But look what happened. You've grown. Your low point is higher than your high point was. And your justification is the anchor in your boat. It doesn't change. I said to him, I said, you will never be more justified than you are today. When you stand in glory before God Himself, you won't be more justified than you are today. Because you're wrapped in the robe of Christ's righteousness, Isaiah says. He was made sin on our part that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's called imputation. It's a simple doctrine. He took our sin and it was, he applied it to Himself and took His righteousness and gave it to us. We have a bank account that doesn't run out. And it doesn't matter what happens with inflation. Biblical doctrines. Justification, progressive sanctification, perseverance of the saints, union with Christ, forgiveness. All those doctrines are the strength. that we, we need to learn them and understand them. We need to help people. And maybe you need to study some of this so you can help people more. Uh, number four, the biblical history. Biblical history. I love that story. So Haman, Haman's got this deal. He's going to have all the Jews destroyed. All of them killed. And he's talking to... Uh, Esther the queen, and he, he trips, falls on top of Esther. And what happens? At that very moment, the king walks in. Whoa! You got a lot of guts. You're attacking my wife in the castle, in the inner chamber? Haman was in trouble. I think of that, and I think the providence of God Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So biblical stories. Samson and Goliath. Uh, Elijah on, on Mount Carmel. So Israel trapped between Pharaoh on one side and the mountains on the other and the Red Sea over here. And what does Moses do in the morning? Takes his staff and says, Stand and behold the salvation of our God. Whoa. And what happened? It didn't just blow them back in. It wasn't a low part of the sea. It didn't blow it back into the reeds. It says there was water on the right and the left. God parted the sea. Listen, I'll bet you we went around here. I was just talking to an individual recently who was telling me how God marvelously uh, intervened in that person's life. I'll bet if we went around here and if you thought, most of you, maybe all of you, could tell a story when you thought, man, this is it. This is it. Our, our bank account's done. We're up the creek. Our house burned. We're done. And God intervened. We got a great God. We need to help these people see it.
B, hope from others' testimonies. I gave you an example of that already. Uh, biographies. Boy, biographies are great. One of the things I learned from reading Christian biographies, there's no great Christian who didn't suffer. And the greater they were, the more they suffered. That's just the way it works. Amazing. I've always wrestled with self-pity. And now it's like, get with it, Craig. Straighten up. Stop whining. I love that verse in Hebrews 12. It's 3. Uh, For you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. I use that with counselors. I say, listen, my interpretation of that for myself is, stop whining, you're not bleeding yet. (laughs) Sadly, there are Christians that do bleed, but not most of us in this country. Okay. C, things gained from fellowship, encouragement, exhortation. We've got to be gentle and gracious, but we've got to be firm. We need to fellowship with the saints. Did you ever see a single tree growing on the peak of a, a rocky mountain that was, that was very windy? Did you ever see just one tree growing? I haven't. I've seen groups of trees. I've seen trees where the bottom was green for the first three feet and the top was all dead because the snow had covered the bottom limbs. But that bitter cold, 30, 40 below, just killed the tree. Fellowship. We need fellowship. Charles Spurgeon was visiting a man. He wasn't coming to church. He was sitting there by the fire, and the guy said, Well, why do I need to go to church? Dr. Spurgeon didn't say anything, but he just took a tongs, walked over to the fire, took out an ember, laid it on the hearth. Guess what happened to the ember? Yeah, it went out. He didn't have to say anything. Fellowship. Exhortation. We need exhortation. We need teaching. Okay, eight. We're almost done. Wrong attitudes. Write out the replacement attitudes. Require. Uh, write out how the replacement attitudes require you to take your focus off yourself. Grumbling, anger, hopelessness, revenge, and there's others. Those sinful attitudes put to are self-focused. We gotta get rid of those attitudes. I want you to see we're attacking this from a lot of different angles. <clears throat> and then last nine, develop a servant's attitude. I've touched on that. I've talked about that. But uh, have them list three people that you can begin to minister to. And note specifically how you're going to do it. So, well, I'm going to help my neighbor. No. You're going to help your neighbor do what? In what way? When? All right? Specific. We don't do things in general. Someone says, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. You You know they didn't tell you anything. We got to be specific, get focused, off self. And then this isn't like taking a pill. What we're doing here is developing a lifestyle. A lifestyle. We're developing habits. Do you know that in the book of Proverbs, (coughs) it uses, let me check this, over a hundred times, it uses the word path, way, 
or uh, cause, I think it is. Let me get here. It uses path about 21 times, way about 71 times, depending on how you translate some verses, walk 19 times. What's it saying? It's saying you don't take a verse like a pill. There's a way of life. There's a walk of life. There's a path of life. And he says in, in the early parts of Proverbs, we seek those things and he guards us. We avoid things we don't even know are there because we're on the right path. Now, I took my wife up eight months pregnant to the top of some rocks. Not a good idea. I don't like to come down the same way, so we took a different way down. <clears throat> uh, not good. Yeah, right. Your eyes are getting big. They ought to be bigger, I'll tell you right now. Because I got off the path and I ran into things. All of a sudden, we're looking at an eight-foot drop. And I think, oh, well, honey, I can hold your hand and lower you down. <laughs> right. I was off the path. I didn't see those things from the top. But had I stayed on the path, I would have avoided those, I would have avoided those problems. That's what Proverbs talks about. That's what we're doing here. We're teaching the person to walk on the path, a new way of life. And those habits begin to protect them against fear. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you, O oh God, that we can study, we can learn. Help us, Father. We have surrendered this area of counseling, of discipleship, of shepherding to the world for far too long. And it's a mess out there. Help us, Lord, with humble confidence to reach out and to move toward people with problems and struggles, even as people have moved toward us and still do at times. Father, help us to know when it's time to ask for help, and even sometimes, Father, when it might be uh, time to back off and, and, and help get someone else to help them. But help us to get involved in people's lives. Help us not to overly complicate things. But Lord, just learn to ask questions. And then see what the Bible says about those. So God is in direct us now. Bless us, O oh God. Prepare our hearts to worship you tomorrow. Be with William as he preaches tomorrow. Bless him, O God, with the power of your Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name.